Turn to Psalm 4, please, to start with. Psalm 4. Okay. Psalm 4, and we'll begin with verse 1. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. And that's what I'd like to talk a little bit about. This evening is the Lord hears when I call to him. The psalmist here, probably David, um, made that claim. And we see that claim is urged on us as well in the New Testament. Um, God has set apart for himself all of us who have trusted in him. And it's, I think, a wonderful thing to notice that that setting apart is relational. It results in our direct communication to God. Now, of course, we can cut ourselves off from fellowship with God through sin. Um, Take a quick look at Psalm 66, verse 18. Psalm 66, 18. (coughs) Says, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So in Psalm 4, the Lord hears when I call to him. But in Psalm 66, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But of course, we know that any kind of restoration or any kind of sin, we can be restored. Um, It's always and only one choice away in 1 John 1, 9. Um, Anybody want to try to quote that? 1 John 1, 9. So we confess our sins. He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And fellowship is restored. Well, you know, that's a wonderful privilege and blessing to be in this kind of a relationship with God himself. Um, To me, what's uh, even more exciting about it is that this relationship is a relationship God himself desired. He desired it. He designed it. And he's the one who brought it to pass. He's the one who brought us into this relationship uh, so that he will hear when we call to him. Really, I think that's beyond comprehension that God himself hears when we call to him. Well, and take a look at John chapter 14. Flip over to John 14. I'm going to just a few assorted verses here. John 14, we'll look at verses 13 and 14. John 14, 13. Whatever you ask in my name... That will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Well, that's a pretty outstanding promise as well, right? So it seems important then to understand what does it mean to ask in Christ's name? And um, we just recently discussed this in the college and career group. Hopefully this will be a helpful review and not a something from the Department of Redundancy Department. <laughs> so, um, but these are just some thoughts that I came across. Uh, somebody else uh, taught on this that I heard. Um, number one, we can see that God's glory is the priority and the purpose of a prayer. We see that right here. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father 
may be glorified in the Son. That's the point. And if we are not on board with that goal, then we are not praying in Christ's name. Um, there is a prerequisite as well. Uh, John 15, flip over to John 15, verse 7. And Christ says here, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So here we see a prerequisite. Um, if you, you can take a quick look at Colossians 3, 16 and 17 as well, which is how we ended up on this topic in the college and career group because we're going through Colossians. Colossians 3, I'll read 16 and 17 here. Colossians 3, 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So Christ says that his words need to abide in us back in John 15. And Paul exhorts us in Colossians here that that should be the case as well. And uh, I think just to be, it's worth bringing up a grammar point here. Let, often we think of let meaning permit or allow, like but this is not saying permit or allow the word of Christ to dwell in you. This is a third person imperative, which we don't really use in English. And so it's an awkward way to try to say things. There just isn't a natural translation. Um, you might think of it as something that, like you Colossians, and by extension us as well, you Colossians, make sure that you have the word of Christ dwelling in you. That's the idea. Well, and you see in verse 17 that this... Uh, uh, passage broadens this idea of in the name of the Lord Jesus beyond simply prayer to all our actions um, and all our words. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever it is, word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay. So we have the uh, God's glory as the priority and purpose, a prerequisite of living in fellowship with Christ and being filled with Christ's word. Um, and of course, we know that the basis for all of this is Christ's person and work. Hebrews 4, some more very common verses we like to look at with good reason. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Hebrews 4, 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the person and work of Christ are the foundation, the basis for our approach to God and why it is that uh, he hears when we call to him. Okay, and finally, uh, one more thought is praying in Christ's name means that we are praying in accordance with Christ's character and his will. So here's a pop quiz. Can anybody think of an example in scripture of somebody who um, was a godly person living a godly life and probably in close fellowship with God um, had the word of Christ dwelling in them and was concerned for God's glory and asked for something, prayed to God, and it was 
not given to them. There you go. <laughs> That's a good example. Yes. Take a look at Second Corinthians twelve eight. Second Corinthians twelve eight. We'll start in verse eight and read a couple verses. Actually, I think I'm backing up to verse seven. My notes are accurate. Second Corinthians twelve. Yeah, we'll start in verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, (coughs) I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Take a look also at Hebrews 5 and verse 7. And here we're going to consider Christ's experience in Gethsemane and see how this is described here. I think it's really interesting. Hebrews 5, 7. In the days of his flesh, he he offered up both prayers and supplications with excuse me, with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was hurt because of his piety. So he was offering these prayers and loud cries to the one who was able to save him from death, but he was not saved from death, right? God did not save him from death. Now, if you look closely at what Christ actually said in his prayers, it's very clear that uh, our first point was primary for our Lord. And that is the will of God, the glory of God. That's what he wanted. So if possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not what I will, but you will. So his ultimate will was, of course, whatever God wanted, right? Um, but nevertheless, there was something in him. <laughs> well, it was, it's very clear. He was not exactly jumping for joy during the cross right he was this is not something he wanted to do and he did pray to god about it and so i think this kind of brings us back to where we started in psalm 4 3 <clears throat> but know that the lord has set apart the godly man for himself the lord hears when i call to him and he certainly heard christ and this is i think an interesting thing we learn as well here in this relationship where god hears us when we call to him we learn to share God's heart. And that, I think, is another privilege and a blessing beyond comprehension. And we see that in the examples of Paul and I think you could even say in Christ in Gethsemane. And that's my thoughts for today.